I was born into and grew up in what would be called by many as a Christian home. My parents believe in God and we attended church regularly. My parents taught us to live by the Christian principles and modeled for us a Christian life. Just before immigrated to the United States, I was awarded a large new paperback Bible called The Way. The Way. It was Dr. Ken Taylor's living translation, and it was the first Bible that I remember owning. If we have a copy of that, let's put it up. There it is. That's the first Bible that I ever recalled having as my own Bible. And that was the first Bible that I read from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, using a daily Bible reading calendar in the flyleaf of that Bible. I was about nine or ten years old. And when I was a child, I had no reason to doubt the veracity or the reliability of the Bible. I had never heard my parents or grandparents or anyone question or doubt the Bible as God's word without error. But as I grew older and I matured in my ability to think for myself, I began to experience the brokenness of this sinful world. I began to have my own private questions and doubts about the Bible. For example, how could God command Israel's army to wipe out whole enemy nations? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Men, women, and children, even animals, totally put to the sword. You want to say, really, God? Really? Aren't you glad that you are not an ancient enemy of Israel? How could God approve of Israeli parents stoning their disobedient children to death for certain sins? How many of you are glad that you weren't a child growing up in ancient Israel? Yeah. Many of us would not be alive today. I believe all thinking people who read the Bible have honest doubts and questions about the Bible's reliability. I'm sure you've had your own doubts and questions about some things that you've read in the Bible, right? Well, today I'm going to attempt to answer question number five. Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? Can we trust it? Let's begin by examining the Bible itself. What, what is the Bible? The Bible is a collection of 66 books and letters. The first 39 of them is called the Old Testament. The last 27 of them is called the New Testament. They're written over a period of about 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and in three different languages. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, Africa, Asia, and Europe. The miracle here is that despite these remarkable facts, the Bible has one consistent theme from beginning to end. And from beginning to end, the Bible highlights one main character. You say, Pastor, what's the Bible's consistent theme from beginning to end? It is the creation, fall, and redemption of men, women, and children around the world. And if you ask me, who is 
the primary character, the main character of the Bible from beginning to end? The answer is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There are conservatively over 300 prophecies found in the prophetic passages of the Old Testament which predicts the specific details of the Messiah. Brother Percy highlighted a few last week. Imagine if somebody told you, I see Kristen and, and, and uh, Adam Gaspar back here. Imagine if somebody told you when you were toddlers that you would marry each other, that you would live in Chicago, and that you would have a little baby named, you know, Ellis. And then that happened. I mean, you'd go like, wow, that's bizarre. How can somebody 20, 30 years, you know, in the, in the future predict exactly what's going to happen in my life? Well, there are over 300 such prof prophetic statements made, written down for all posterity in the Old Testament that have come to pass hundreds and in some cases thousands of years later in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the only person in history who fits every single of these messianic prophecies. One interesting note about these messianic prophecies, they can be verified and refuted. But none has ever been refuted, not even one. The New Testament was written by eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. They walked with him and talked with him. They heard his sermons and saw his miracles. And they not only documented four biographies of his life, known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they also document his ministry and how to apply his teachings to everyday life, and those are the epistles. And that's why 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The phrase God-breathed means that God is the actual author of the Bible text, but he used human authors to pen the words, human writers to pen the words of Scripture. All 40 authors, all of them, all 40 authors of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God as he superintended the writing of the holy texts. God used their different minds, their different experiences and personalities and various genres of Scripture to communicate His will and His purpose for our lives. So we've got history in the Bible, historical books. We have got narrative. We've got poet, poetry. And then we've got didactic or teaching passages of Scripture. Did you know that the Scripture can be trusted on every subject about which it speaks? Did you know that? For example, the Bible says that the earth is a sphere. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, Job 26, verse 10, and then there are several other passages that mention the same thing, that the earth is a sphere. Well, we know from history that even as late as 1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 
Most people feared for their voyage because they thought that he and his crew would what? Sail right off the edge of the planet. Why did they think that? Because in those days they thought the earth was flat. But God's word was proven right and Columbus and crew did not fall off the edge of the earth, did they? Did you know that the Bible teaches that life is in the blood that runs through our veins? Leviticus 17, 13, and 14 says life is in the blood. And yet until the 19th century, medical doctors used leeches to drain the blood of certain patients for certain cures. And perhaps the most well-known case of this malpractice was President George Washington who requested to be bled out by leeches because he had a throat infection. Within 10-hour period, 124 ounces of his blood was drawn by leeches. That's 3.75 liters. And sadly, he died within hours after that. It wasn't until 1940 that Dr. Charles Drew, an African-American surgeon, invented the system to collect, preserve, and share blood plasma. He invented the blood banks and the blood mobile because by then it was more common knowledge that life was in the blood and that we needed to donate blood to people rather than drain their bodies of blood. Well, a few thousand years before this, God made it clear that in his holy and perfect word, teaching us that life is in the blood. Dr. George Washington Carver, the great African-American scientist, said, All my life I have risen at four in the morning to go into the woods to meet with God. It is there that he gives me instruction for my day. One day while talking to God in the woods, Dr. Carver said, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. And God said, no, Carver, that's only for me to know. <laughs> and then again he said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And God said, now that's more nearly your size. And he told me. And I'm sure you all know that it was this excellent scientist who, through his excellent scientific work, Dr. Carver, had such insight into the little peanut as well as sweet potatoes that it led to the invention of peanut butter and peanut oil and many other agricultural insights that from the, both the peanut and the sweet potato, among many other plants and flowers. He was an incredible man, but he had a wisdom from God and from God's word that he credited to all of his discoveries. We could go on to talk about marriage and family life. Oh, the tangled social webs we weave when we fail to listen to God's teaching on sex, marriage, and family. Do you know what the number one indicator of poverty in America is? Single-parent household. Do you know what the most men in prison have in common? They grew up in a single-parent household. Do you know what most high school dropouts have in common? A single-parent household. Listen, I know we don't live in a perfect world and nobody has a perfect family, and I'm not here to judge you because of a failed marriage or because you've had children out of wedlock. I'm simply pointing out to you that God's word will not be mocked. You show me an individual or an entire society that is <clears throat> bent on living life contrary to God's word, and I'll show you a life and a society that is dysfunctional and doomed to destruction. God's word is righteous and true. 
and it is trusted advice on every subject of which it speaks, whether it is morality, meaning, purpose, science, or history. And praise be to God that when we make moral mistakes, those mistakes don't have to define us for the rest of our lives, do they? No, God is so gracious and he's so merciful to forgive us and to forgive those of us who humbly admit our faults, repent of our sins. If you were here last week, you heard Brother Percy's testimony. He grew up in a two-parent household, was an honor roll student in grade 9, and by grade 10 he had joined a gang and was slinging dope. And he got kicked out of school and kicked right into prison. But praise God, our Lord... Jesus met him right there in prison, offering him grace and mercy and forgiveness. And personally, he graciously and gratefully received Christ and all of his gifts. And look what God has done with him now. This is another reason you can trust the Bible. Its message of the gospel is powerful and able to transform the sinner, making him or her a saint. Only God's word can do that. Hallelujah, only God's word can do that. One of the things I love about the Bible is how inclusive it is. No other religious book is more inclusive than the Bible. In Genesis 12, 3, God told Abraham, I will bless you and the whole world as all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. Let's look now at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, chapter 7, uh, Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19, 7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard in my lifetime which testify to how the Holy Spirit of God used the Holy Word of God to convict the soul of sin and to convince the soul of righteousness. God's word is perfect, perfectly powerful to revive the soul. The psalmist continues, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. I'm convinced that wisdom is one of God's most precious gifts and most desperately needed in our world today. Now don't confuse wisdom with knowledge. Knowledge is the what. Wisdom is the what plus the how and the when. Wisdom is applied knowledge, applied knowledge to the, in the right time. How many of you know people who are totally book smart? I mean, some people are super smart book-wise, but they are not street-wise. You know anybody like that? I have a few friends like that. I mean, they are just so super. They can sit down. They blow me out of the water. They sit down and take the ACT, SAT, these exams. But they're not street smart. They're not street wise. I know people who are super smart mathematicians. They can solve complex math equations, but their personal finances are a mess. What's the problem? They lack financial wisdom and discipline in their personal finances. How many of you have ever gone to a hospital and seen doctors and nurses in their uniform outside the hospital smoking cigarettes? Now, you have to be smart to become a doctor or a nurse, okay? 
You have to study hard for many years and pass complicated exams. But you also have to be a fool to know all that you know about the relationship between cancer and smoking and still pick up a cigarette and smoke. What's the problem? A simple lack of wisdom. Verse 8, the Bible says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. When you look around this world today and see so many people filled with sadness, and then, of course, the mental illness of depression that robs millions of people of joy every single day. And the mental illness of depression robs, that robs people of joy. I'm so grateful for psychologists and psychiatrists who practice their craft, helping us through our times of sadness and depression. But oftentimes, it is the constant lies of the enemy that robs us of our joy. And the remedy for his lies is God's truth. We've got to learn to tell ourselves the truth. And where can you find truth about yourself and your circumstance? In the Bible. Thank you, Vanessa. In God's Word. The commands of God's Word... The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes, the Bible says. The commands of the Lord are radiant. I love that. Giving light to the eyes. Have you ever met a really godly person whose life is filled with the knowledge and the wisdom of God? They may not have all the degrees and titles in their name. They don't have to live... They don't, oftentimes don't even live in luxury. They don't have influential connections. But when you look into their eyes, you see what Paul the apostle describes in the letter to the Corinthians. You see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, our Lord Jesus, shining through their eyes. My grandmother Phyllis Cooper was like that. You can tell a lot about a person by looking into their eyes. God's commands are radiant, and those who obey them receive a pure light in their eyes. Those who are committed to humbly walk in obedience to God's command will be able to have a certain clarity of thought and sight. You'll be able to see yourself, your relationships, and the world as God sees you and the world. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. We all know by way of living in Chicago that not all city ordinances are sure and altogether righteous. Amen? City ordinances often change when political leaders change in and out of office. And not every ordinance is a just one. Somebody say something to me about them red light cameras. Amen? Somebody. And them speed cameras. Amen, somebody. Not every ordinance is a just one. But not with God. Because God's word is perfectly just. God is perfectly just, and therefore, he alone makes perfectly just ordinances. 
We can trust them because we can trust him. God's ordinances are more precious than gold. The price of gold today is about $1,300 per ounce. How many of you wish you had a few ounces of gold here today? (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't mind one gold bar. Just one. I'm not that greedy. Just one. But check it. If you own a copy of God's Word, you have something much more precious and valuable than all the gold from the Gold Coast of Africa. And those of us who have been to the Gold Coast of Africa, Atta Nuhai, remember when we went to Ghana and then to Nigeria? In between Angola, Nigeria, and Ghana, that's called the Gold Coast of Africa. Those countries were filled with deposits of gold. There's still a tribe in Ghana known as the Ashanti tribe, I believe. Our sister from Ghana can tell us that the king there, you go into that village and everything has got gold on it. Uh, The king sits in a gold throne and his house is papered with gold, real gold. And he's got gold jewelry and everything has gold in the Ashanti region of Ghana. And Nigeria, there was a time where the Nigerian Naira was backed by gold and it was more costly, you can get more, there was, the Nigerian dollar was worth more than the United States dollar at one point because of the gold that backed their currency, much more than the United States had gold backing its currency. But the Bible says that the gold of God's word is much more precious than the gold you can find in the world, much more valuable. And if you've got a sweet tooth, If chocolates and sweet pastries are your vices, God's word is sweeter than those delicacies. What if we were to treat God's word as if it were more precious than gold and sweeter than honey? How would our lives change for the better? How much richer and more satisfying would our relationships be? How much more wiser and more productive would our lives be for the glory of God, if we would learn to mine the riches of God's word and to eat the riches which is sweeter than honey found in God's word. Finally, verse 11, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. I don't know about you, but I hate making my own mistakes. I prefer to learn from the mistakes of others or simply from the warnings of Scripture. You heard the testimony of Robert Blackwell here today. Mom and Dad gave certain rules, and if I followed those rules, I can be free to do whatever else I wanted to do. He read in the Bible that if we did certain things, then we would be blessed, and if we didn't do those things, we would be cursed. There'd be consequences. It's not complicated. The scripture says, by them is your servant warned. That is, by God's precepts, principles, commands, teachings found in scripture. By them we are warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. I don't know about you, but I want to be the guy that reads the Word of God, understands the Word of God, and simply submits my life to the Word of God so that I might reap the rewards and not the consequences for, for failing to heed God's Word and apply God's Word to my life. 
This year, the Lord has led me to read the Psalms and Proverbs over and over again to gain wisdom and insight and encouragement from them. God's word is full of warnings that if heeded, will guide, protect, and provide us in immeasurable ways. And that's why the end of verse 11 says that when we keep God's word, heeding his warnings, we will be greatly rewarded. I've had the privilege to serve on the board of the Pacific Garden Mission for about two decades. And we have a few members of the PGM staff here, Brother Percy, Javier, and Samantha, and Brother James Black there in the back. And they're not only staff members, but also graduates of the Bible program there at PGM. And they can show you the difference between those at the mission who submit their lives to, to heed God's warnings and those who don't. There are many testimonies of those who come to the mission broken in so many ways. And yet when they submit to the word of God and to the leadership of the mission, God restores the broken places and the broken relationships in their lives. And we've seen marriages restored, parental relationships restored, jobs, finances, houses restored, minds, hearts, and bodies restored. Just recently I was at a board meeting about a year or so ago, and, and uh, the president of the board, Pastor Phil Kwiatkowski, he said, I want you to come preach it at uh, a graduation service. And I preach at many graduation services there where the men and women who go through the Bible program, we have a wonderful graduation complete with cap and gown and, and certificates and all of that. And there was a woman there who gave her testimony, and members of her family were in the audience. And when she came to the mission... She identified as a man, but she's a woman. And, uh, and she dressed like a man, she looked like a man, but she was born a woman. And at the mission, when she got saved and began to learn God's truth about who he created her to be, she repented and found healing in her heart and began to dress like a woman and had to learn how to dress like a woman and walk like a woman and talk like a woman. And to be who God created her to be. And it was so great to see her walk across that stage with her cap and gown with all the others who went through the program. And to see her reconciled to her family that was in the audience cheering her on and welcoming her into the family as who God has created her to be and whom, to whom she was born into that family to be. A wonderful woman of God. Listen, God is able to restore all kinds of things. When we submit ourselves to him and to his word. And most of all, the personal relationship with God the creator, lover, savior of the soul that has been restored. What greater reward is there than that? And so it is God's word that says to us, verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May the... They not rule over me, and then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is the Bible reliable? I hope by now you are able to say, yes, the Bible is reliable. And I will put my trust in God's holy word and submit my life to its teachings. Did you know that the Bible remains on the 
top of all the all-time bestseller list of all books ever published and sold in the world? Think about this. Do you know how the Bible compares to the top five selling books in the world? Are you ready for this? How many of you have read The Hobbit? 100 million of you have read The Hobbit, okay? 100 million books sold. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, 120 million. There's a French book called The Little Prince, 140 million. The Lord of the Rings, 150 million. The Bible, only about five or six billion. Five or six billion and counting. That's with a B. So, beloved UBC, you and I can rest assured and feel secured when we trust the Bible as God's inspired, inerrant word to our hearts and minds and lives. We will be blessed. We will live an uncommon life. And we will be a blessing to the world wherever we go. Let's stand.